The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Hello, loyal listeners. You're listening to this November 20th, 2014 edition of Real People of Orange County on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are broadcasting live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org. We are available via podcast on KUCI's website, KUCI.org slash talk. We are at Kimberly Martin's website, KimberlyMartin.com. I'm your guest host, Marie Stone. Kimberly Martin is out this week, and I'm pleased to be able to slide back into her seat. This show is an informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. The guests on this show are all people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity, and today is no exception. Before we dive into today's topic, one announcement I want to bring to your attention uh, that's really cool. The Laguna Playhouse is um, featuring Ed Asner for the next couple of nights. Ed Asner is there starring as FDR. It opened last night. What a great opportunity to see Ed Asner, who's now 85 years old. Uh, doing a one-man monologue uh, through Sunday. It is tomorrow night, tonight, tomorrow night, and a Saturday matinee, a Sunday matinee, uh, four nights only. Performances uh, are at 7.30 uh, in the evenings, and Saturday, a 2 o'clock matinee, Sunday, a 1 o'clock matinee. It's only 40 bucks. I think it's 40 or 50 bucks to see Ed Asner uh, performing FDR. So you can check out the Laguna Playhouse, lagunaplayhouse.com. Uh, you can call them at 949-497-ARTS and, uh, and get your tickets. What a great, what a great event. So onward with the show. We're talking this hour about crime in Orange County. My guest this afternoon is Jesse Gessen, the Deputy Federal Public Defender for the Central District of California. It's in Santa Ana. Jesse will also be teaching a course here on trial advocacy right here at the UCI School of Law next semester. He's here to answer our questions about crime, punishment on the federal level here in Orange County, what crimes are an immediate threat here in Orange County, what's getting better, what's getting worse, what we can do to protect ourselves. I'm going to have him give us the whole scoop on the law, and then we'll dive into some issues that are facing all of us right here today. Jesse, hi. Hello. Thanks for coming on. So brave of you to <laughs> brave of you to brave the freeways and come down today. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself better than I just did and, uh, and talk a little bit about yourself, how you got into the law, how you got into this area of the law, and uh, kind of take us into your world a little bit. All right. Uh, I, I'm currently at the Federal Public Defender's Office in Santa Ana. We handle federal crimes in United States District Court. We represent those that can't afford an attorney uh, that are charged with federal crimes, which is uh, pretty much everybody these days. Uh, defending a federal indictment is a very expensive proposition. So uh, we're seeing a, uh, an uptick in the number of indigent clients, uh, while at the same time uh, the actual 
number of crimes in federal court are are, are seem to be staying level or even decreasing. But uh, nonetheless, the number of indigent clients, those that can't afford uh, an attorney, are, is, is seems to be rising. Which um, is funny for Orange County. Yeah, it the seems, land of affluence. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've had in the last couple of years, I've represented a, a doctor, uh, a, a colonel in the military, um, a number of uh, individuals that were charged with multi-million dollar fraud schemes. Um, you know, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, we can, I guess, we can get into that later. I, I'll go back to the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I started out. Uh, I, I grew up here in Orange County. I always knew I wanted to practice law in Orange County. When I was uh, in my third year of law school, I was looking for a, a, a job, and uh, I knew I wanted to get trial experience. And somebody at my career services office said, why don't you try St. Thomas? And I, I, I said, okay, well, where's St. Thomas? And they <laughs> said, uh, it's, it's a Caribbean island. And, and, I, and she went over to a map and started moving her finger down the map from Washington, D.C., where I was in law school, down past Florida and then it passed Haiti and then to St. Thomas, which was literally a speck. And so I, I said, okay, that looks like a nice place. So I that wrote, looks warm. Yeah, it looks, <laughs> it looks warm, warmer than Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah, so I started researching it and it turned out that the Virgin Islands had a way higher rate of trials than any other jurisdiction in the country. So I, I just pulled out the attorney book and I and I wrote every single attorney in in St. Thomas and uh, w- one of them who's a former judge named Hank Fierzig, uh, one of my first mentors, he wrote me back and said I'll be in D.C. in a week. Would you come and interview with me? And I showed up and he was wearing a white dinner jacket and a teal t-shirt <laughs> and I said, Wow, this is my kind of guy. And it was Passover and he says. He says, I'm Jewish, so I'm observing Passover. Um, would you like to eat breakfast? I said, sure. And as we're in line, he, he orders a, a, a full helping of pancakes with a side of bacon. I said, this is this is, <laughs> this this is, is my man. <laughs> so uh, we we hit it off, and he, he brought me down there, and I worked for him for a year, and I was doing admiralty law for with him uh, for an insurance company, which was great because – uh, it was just basically a really rich yacht owners telling really rich insurers that you know they could shove it, and and I, I enjoyed that. But at one time, they came, Hank came into my office and said, "Hey, could you handle this this um, court appointed case? It's a criminal case. There's a really high number of court appointed cases because the uh, the public defender's office is very small. There's a lot of crimes, and every attorney in the Virgin Islands has to handle court-appointed cases. There's no conflict panel, oh, really? which means that the, oh, wow. all the cases where the public defender's office can't handle them go to private attorneys, whereas here there's a conflict panel. There's a number of attorneys that sign up to take those cases, criminal attorneys. There you, you could be a real estate attorney and get a triple homicide. Oh, my so, God. So it's oh, it's, <laughs> it's madness. And so uh, I, I handled that. I was He gave it to me on a Friday. I didn't sleep all weekend. It was Super Bowl weekend. I remember the Giants were playing. I didn't care. I just worked on the case the whole time. And by Monday, I walked in with a 30-page motion to suppress. And I said, I, 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 said, I, I, I think we can win. <laughs> Next thing I know, we got 187 grams of crack cocaine suppressed. And we walked out, and he said, uh, "He said you like coddling these criminals, don't you? I said, I really like coddling these criminals. <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed the constitutional issues involved. And I loved the pace of it. 
Uh, uh, it was so fast. It was not slow moving like the litigation I was dealing with was so slow moving. It was it was fast and it was rapid and lives were at stake. And I was I was out taking pictures of the houses and I, I get pulled over by a police officer. He says, there's only two reasons a white boy like you would be here on a Friday afternoon taking pictures in this neighborhood. He says, either you're buying drugs or you're handling a case. I said, sir. I'm handling a case. (laughs) (laughs) Both, yeah, right? Um, No, no, I said, I'm handling a case. And he says, okay, okay, you can go. And um, and it was just, it was, it was, it was just like this lightning moment for me. And so I, I went back and I, and I, and I, I started um, handling all their pro bono cases. And then eventually a private attorney approached me. Um, He was the quote unquote Cochran of the Caribbean, they called him. Very, very good lawyer. Very good lawyer. Uh, well-respected, uh, handled number of trials, had worked for the pu- public def- federal public defender's office down there, Harvard-educated lawyer. Um, he approached me to work with him and handle his civil cases, but I would also do, uh, I would also do uh, criminal cases with him. And uh, and so I started working for him, and within six months, uh, his firm had imploded. Oh, <laughs> totally of imploded. Course, right? So I had we had tried a case with the federal public defender, and I had argued a religious freedom restoration act case on, for a Rastafarian. Um, on the night before the the case was to to be going to trial, I boss came in and said, "Hey, would you think if there's an issue to dismiss here?" And I said, "Yeah, I've been looking at this issue for a while, this Rastafarian issue with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act." And so I'm in court the next morning arguing it before the judge, and and I hear this gentleman in the background, and it's it's the federal public defender, and he's saying, "I like the boy, I like the boy," and he's just yelling, and I'm I can't even concentrate. I'm in dish, you know United States District Court for the first time, and I just this crazy man. Turned out he was the big boss at the federal public defender's office, and so when the firm imploded, I approached him and he said, "You're you're you're not you're not experienced enough. You've never been in federal court alone. You've never tried your own federal case. You're 27. There's no other attorneys in St. Thomas. I'm in St. Croix, 44 miles of clear blue ocean away." I cannot supervise you, uh, and, and so I walked out of the interview thinking, "Oh my gosh, okay, I gotta figure, I gotta approach my old firm and, and beg for my job back." And then I got a call from him, and he says, "Well, I'm gonna give you the chance of a lifetime. I'm gonna hire you." And next thing I know, I was, you know, basically running a law office in in St. Thomas. But it was, uh, I, he was always there, you know. But there just was no other physical attorney in the office. I was the running a solo branch, and um, I I just started trying cases, and it was. It was the most amazing experience. I mean, it just case after case after case. They were coming eight, eight or nine cases a year. You know, arguing before the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, who would travel down to hear the cases. Um, and 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 my my old boss, who's who's no longer the federal public defender of the Virgin Islands, um, he was there to bat issues around with me. I got really into the local defense bar. I started working with a lot of uh, local attorneys, and um, and we just we tried we tried. Uh, I tried o- almost 20, I think 20 cases in a three-year period, which is wow. You know, most attorneys in the Central District try it. If they try a case, they try one case a year, maybe wow. maybe two or three on a on a on a good year. Um, above that, it's pretty rare um, for for federal cases. So the moral of the story is to take risks. Move to. <laughs> The moral of the story is to move to St. Thomas. <laughs> yeah, the moral of the story is to go, go chase, chase your dreams in, in Caribbean waters. Right. <laughs> now, the, the, moral, the moral of the story for the young attorneys is uh, if you really want to experience, you're going to have to go somewhere else to get it. I mean, you know, L.A. and New York are great jurisdictions to practice in, and 
you can get into one of the if you can get into a local public defender's office or even the federal public defender's office it's great it's just tough you know there's so much competition here there's really the practice of law in the central district is so high people right. are so, they're, they're so talented they're so educated um uh, uh the 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 practice is is just an astounding level um so it's nice to go into some of these jurisdictions that you wouldn't normally think of um uh West Texas, uh, the, the South, uh, the Caribbean, uh, Guam, North Marianas Islands, and you could just start trying cases down there imme- almost immediately. And then it probably opens doors for you here because then you you have all of the experience. So when you come back here, you can say, I've tried 20 cases in three years. Who else has done that? <laughs> and you get a job, right? <laughs> that's the idea. I mean, you know, how it yeah, that's the idea. Is, yeah. is it you get? It's almost like a little bit of like a residency sort of. Yeah, it's like a community college before the big university equivalent, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is so cool. Uh, my guest today is Jesse Gessen. You're tuned in to KUCI eighty-eight point nine FM in Irvine, real people of Orange County, and we are talking crime in Orange County. So then, so how did you get? It, how did you get back here? Okay, so I was I was having to fly to Puerto Rico to visit my clients because they don't have a detention center in St. Thomas because the Department of Justice sued the uh, Virgin Islands Bureau of Corrections. Wow. So the feds <laughs> couldn't sue them for civil rights violations and then keep their prisoners there. So so I had to get on a seaplane to go visit my clients in Puerto Rico. And I woke up one morning in Puerto Rico after three years of trying cases, and uh, I was exhausted. I was really tired. And um, and I I decided you know I'm, I think I'm going to look for a new job and I looked online and magically there was an opening in Orange County and I I I was on a plane I think a, a, a week and a half or two weeks later oh. to come out here to interview yeah and it was my dream job I mean being a federal public defender in Orange County was it was yeah it was uh, amazing it was just uh, just a, such a wonderful opportunity and I I um I was so fortunate that they hired me and it's been just the, the most blessed experience. It's so great. So we should step back a little bit because I know not everybody has gone to law school out there. So we're going to talk, maybe we can talk a little bit about federal versus state crime because I think a lot of people get confused about what your jurisdiction covers and what it doesn't cover. Um, so you're probably not trying a lot of murder cases here. Well, just talk a little bit about what federal crime is versus state crime. Okay. So Federal versus state. There's there's certain crimes that the feds have exclusive jurisdiction over. Jurisdiction just means that only they can bring the cases. Um, they're crimes on postal or national properties, um, immigration crimes. Mm. Uh, but a lot of crimes are concurrent jurisdiction, meaning that either the state or the feds can bring it. Usually what happens is they'll look at the case and they'll decide between the the federal prosecuting authorities and the state prosecuting authorities who can get the most time in prison, right? <laughs> right. And not just it's not just who can get the most time in prison years-wise. It's who can get the most time in prison, meaning that the, that the defendant will have to serve that time because the state has a good time, meaning that they, if you're, as long as you're a, a good prisoner— you only have to serve half your time. In federal, if you're a good prisoner, you have to serve 85%. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So they, they crunch the numbers, and then they'll, they'll bring the case either state or federal. Now, there's certain crimes that you see a lot more often in federal court. 
bank robberies, for example. The state could theoretically bring a bank robbery, but because the banks are FDIC insured, the feds have jurisdiction, and they'll take those cases quite frequently. Okay. You'll see always immigration crimes in federal court. The state cannot bring immigration crimes in state court. Uh, that's that's built into the Constitution, uh, meaning that they have a, a jurisdiction, constitutional exclusive, jur- exclusive yeah. jurisdiction. Um, uh, okay, so large drug conspiracies, ones that include wiretapping, uh, extensive investigation, uh, those kind of cases will usually come federal because the, the they'll, they'll be part of a task force, and then they'll hand off to the drug administ- drug enforcement administration agents, yep. and then they'll they'll prosecute those federally. And uh, so, mo- large scale multi kilogram drug trafficking, you'll see federal cases. I'll, not to say that they don't bring them statewide, but they tend to be on the federal side more often. And are the sentences different? If you have one crime, will the state have a more stringent sentence, or are they exactly the same? No. The, it, it it really just depends on the crime. Now, the state has a tripart sentencing scheme where they get what's called low, medium, high. Uh, there's some movement in there, but for the most part, that's kind of how they work the state scheme. Uh, on the federal side, it, it, the, the federal judges have a ton of sentencing power, so the, the federal judges have to, have to consult what's called the United States Sentencing Guidelines, which is an advise, advisory range of you know a certain month range, say fifty one to sixty three months, so five and a half to or excuse me four and a half to five years. Um, but they don't have to follow that, and so the judge can sentence anywhere between what the statu- the the minimum of the statute is to the maximum of the statute. So for a fraud, it would be zero to twenty years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quite so broad. It's not, it's not like <laughs> the state where it's two, five, seven, or something like that, some low, medium, high. Right. It's zero to 20. Zero years. to 20, yeah. Yeah, okay. so you can imagine advising a client, oh, okay, so I can't tell you exactly what you're going to get today. I'm not even going to be able to tell you exactly what you're going to get two months from now, but at sentencing, the judge is going to sentence you somewhere between zero and 20 years. It's really Yikes. tough. Yeah, it's really, really tough. tough. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you do, and you do a lot of, so what do you see typically in Orange County? What are the big crimes of Orange County? Okay, so we get a lot of bank for, bank, bank robberies. We get a lot of drugs. We get a lot of immigration. But the crime du jour in Orange County is fraud. Yeah. <laughs> fraud is a, is, a, is a favorite. Yeah, it is. It really I, it, is. You can't throw a Kleenex and not hit somebody who hasn't had their identity stolen. I think in Orange County, but absolutely, yeah. yeah. So tell us how it happens and what we what we should be on the lookout for because it seems like every time I turn around, I have to call Bank of America and get a new credit card. Yeah, I just got my, my credit card stolen a couple weeks ago uh, from a. I was using my card at a gas station and they stole the numbers. That's one scheme. Um, they put a strip down that records the numbers and then they pull the strip off later, either from an ATM or a gas machine or something like that. And then they'll make cards uh, using the strip, and then they go and use the cards elsewhere. Um, Why is it gas stations? I could see them do well. ATM machines are probably higher scrutiny. People drop by the ATM machines to check them. Maybe well, the more ATM often. machines have a have a camera, so they oh, can right. see Good them. Point. The gas yeah, stations right. don't. don't. That's right. Uh, right. I mean, theoretically, you could put that strip in any, I guess, any uh, uh, machine, any any card reader, right? Right. Uh, uh, but uh, most 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 places that have the card reader have have uh, some sort of uh, camera, right? Liquor right. stores, stuff like that. Um, 
but that the ATM the ATM one's interesting. There was a coordinated attack on a bunch of ATMs internationally. Uh, this happened uh, maybe half a year, a year ago. It's a big case, and they hit. It was an international ring, uh, totally coordinated, and they they cut upwards of thirty or forty million dollars in one in one shot. So that's that's a that wasn't in Orange County. I mean, maybe there was ATMs in Orange County that were hit, but that was a worldwide scheme. But that gives you an idea. Of, it can go from one card, like my card, where they took out you know fifty, a hundred bucks the, every week until I figured it out, and all the way up to what they did, which was a coordinated attack on multi multi ATMs. That's that one scheme, right? Um, and the way they did it with you was very clever because every time I get my card stolen, they go on some shopping spree and they catch them immediately. But the way they did it to you was very insidious where they, they match whatever your gas bill normally is and then come after you every couple of weeks so that you wouldn't notice oh, yeah, it. yeah, I, mean, I was totally that's impressed. so smart. Yeah. yeah, I was impressed by their by their patience, right? Instead right. of going for broke. Uh, yeah, it took me a little while to, oh, wait, did I? God, I'm using a lot of gas, you know, a lot more than normal. But I just, you know, okay, we let it go. And, and then I, and then it was one from Pico Rivera, and I'm like, okay, I was not in Pico Rivera. You know, the only reason I go to Pico Rivera is to buy a uh, lottery ticket. <laughs> right. Everybody wins the lottery in Pico Rivera. Right. So uh, so I realized at that point that I had been smart. hit. Yeah, that's Very smart. smart. Yeah. So that, that's that's one type of fraud. Uh, there's so many different types of fraud. So the, the the classic structure of most frauds is the Ponzi scheme, which is just money coming into money coming in from investors and going out to other investors. But on that skeleton, there's so many different kinds of frauds that you can build around it. Mm. So there's uh, there's oil and gas fraud, which is a favorite. There's uh, the the um, uh, the bridge loan fraud, which is oh I have goods in Hong Kong and I need to send them to. Uh, England and I just need um, uh, a bridge loan between the two and you'll get back 20 or 30 percent. There's the real estate fraud. So we have real estate in Missouri and here's pictures of it. There's the uh, uh, commodities fraud. They're they're just endless. Endless. They're endless. The the, the number of and type of frauds and and they can go from very small frauds to very large frauds. But the, the one thing that is the same is the structure and the and the type of person that commits fraud. Uh, they're often known as fraudsters. Um, it's interesting. I, I listened to an NPR special not long ago about uh, uh, f- the mind of the fraudster, and they had a, um, a an individual on there who had committed mortgage fraud, which was a, is an, also another big fraud in Orange County. Mm. Uh, and he was talking about how he just he just made one little tiny forgery on a document and oh i'll just i'll make up for this later you know and then it became two and then it just slipped in and then once the line was crossed it just kept on going and then it it, it, it snowballed and and i and i think that 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 tends to happen to people is they is they think oh i'll just make one and then all of a sudden but the ability to to look past it to to put it out of your mind to get it out of your consciousness I think is a special type of skill hmm. that, uh, and I call it a skill because you don't just see it in fraud. You don't just see it with fraud defendants. You, you see it with large scale business people who lose multi million dollar bets one day and then go back and make multi million dollar bets the next day and win. Right, right. That right. ability not to get sucked down in the things that you've done, the losses that you've made, the harm that you've caused, uh, it can be. A, 
a, a skill that benefits a captain of industry or a skill that befalls a, 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 a criminal defendant. And, and it's, I mean, some would call it sociopathic, whatever label you want to put on it. I think it's an amazing thing. And I, and I, every time I inter, in, interact with a frog client, I'm just, I'm just blown away by, by the, 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 I'm, I look at them and I say, God, you could have been a captain of industry. You know, I, I, I look at their, their ability to, to interact with people and their, their persuasion and, and, uh, their charisma. Right. And, 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 and I, and like I said, I, I think that it, it begins small and, and they just, it's sometimes it snowballs. Yeah. You wonder if it's addictive that they get away with it the first time and then they want to see what more they can get away with and, oh, that worked. And so maybe this will work. Um, can you profile them in terms of gender, race, age? Like, are there, is there kind of a typical person that you would look out for? Or are they just anybody next door? I think that it could be anybody next door, but it, te- I have to say that it, it tends to be well, I'm also in Orange County, so the right. white the white male is is a cla- is very prototypical. Right. Uh, uh, the the white middle aged male, um, but they've they come from all walks of life, you know. And and there's degrees, right? There's the ones that are so far blown that they don't they've totally disassociated from reality, almost whereas if it's um, a situation where you might want to have like a, a, a medical practitioner. Uh, take a look, and and maybe that this is a, a situation where you want to bring this up as a as a as an imperfect insanity uh, uh, mitigation sentencing advocacy presentation for the court, yeah. and then you have the ones where it's there was a trauma in somebody's life, and they just maybe they kept one they kept the social security check of a loved one that that had passed, and and then it's another one, and then it's another one, and it's another one, and that's considered. Social security fraud, but they're really just dealing with the loss of that loved one, and that yes, they enjoy the money, but also it brings them closer, closer to being with that person alive, and and they and that's what caused the 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 criminal conduct. So it's never as simple as just you know one type of person, but I think that most of what we see in Orange County is as far as criminal defendants go on fraud cases. I would have to say. The white male is is very, is very uh, prolific. So you're you're a public defender, meaning these guys don't have money. Obviously, they can't profit from their crime. So whatever you have caught them with, they can't pay. They can't pay. But what qualifies you as indigent enough to be able to make use of the public defender's office? So what happens is uh, a defendant goes into court and signs an affidavit certifying to the court what their finances is and now, now that certification or that which you can't trust because <laughs> well they, they are they're putting their signature on it and we we try you know we we try to to make sure that that um uh whatever you know we 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 do our best to make sure that they're not they're not um playing hokey with the court system um but what what happens is is they you know sometimes you just gotta you just gotta trust right <laughs> And and so the court trusts, and and then they appoint based on that trust. And um, the court is the one that decides whether or not a person qualifies. And sometimes they'll say, okay, there's enough money here that you need to go out and get a private lawyer. And sometimes they say, well, there's some money here, so I'm going to ask that, that you be subject to an, an order of contribution, meaning that you're ser- the the public de- you're going to have to pay the court for the public defender services because our salaries are paid by the court. The public defender's mm-hmm. salaries are paid by the court. 
In which case, I always say to the judges, well, how are you going to figure out my hourly rate? Because I'm thinking I'm batting around four or 500, to be honest with you. But right, I'm, I'm kidding. Right. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm so totally then there's kidding. court fraud. <laughs> yeah, right? No, no, no. I, I always joke with the, with the judges about that. What are you going to bill me out at, judge? <laughs> so then um, let's talk a little bit about what we can do to protect ourselves. Because I just feel like a walking target over and over. I mean, I'm, I'm hit over and over. Fortunately, it seems to be the banks that catch it every time. They call us and say, um, you know, were you in your Belinda yesterday buying a lot of, um, you know, guns or something. <laughs> Somehow they always know and they're always right. And we have been ripped off. But tell me, um, tell me a little bit about what we can do to protect ourselves aside from not getting gas anymore. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little scary, right? That the banks always know what purchases are off. Yeah, right. You've been following me for a You've while. Follow- yeah, Bank right, of America. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So the small scale fraud like that, that I got caught up in uh, where somebody stole my credit card, uh, just check your credit card balances. Um, you know they have the, the the fraud alerts and all that stuff that you can. Some you know most often they're they're paid services where they take a look and if anything's out of whack, your your bank or your credit card does that. I, I don't think that that's necessary. Just as long as you check your your credit card statements every couple of days. Um, you know a few companies have these really cool applications that as soon as you as soon as there's a purchase, you get an alert. So I'll purchase, although it's kind of weird because I'll just buy dinner and then all of a sudden, bam, I'll be like alerted that I've just bought dinner. Like, oh, right. Yeah, I know I bought dinner. So it's getting a little to be a little much. But as long as you're fairly diligent with your credit card statements, you'll figure it out. And, and most, I think most companies are pretty good these days about, about fraud. It's the large scale frauds. It's the losing, the investing the IRAs, investing the retirement savings, investing the nest, you know, the the nest egg. That right. those those are the real problems. And the certain hallmarks of fraud are, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. But sometimes people, the, the people are so charismatic, and and they seem so trustworthy, and they present they present bank statements, and they present um, um, uh, they present uh, past histories that look very very convincing. So how do you protect protect your against self against something like that refer always ask for references and if the references don't seem legit multiple references uh get out if if it's a robo call definitely get out and and i say that in all candor because a lot of there's boiler rooms out there and you just got to be really careful of the boiler rooms uh the the robo call if you if if it's a guaranteed percentage that's a huge hallmark of fraud uh any investment it's I mean, even the most safe investments have some level of risk, right? right. I mean, however minute, if they're guaranteeing 20 or 30% or even 5% or 10%, if it's a guarantee, the higher the percentage, well, if there's a guarantee, it's troubling. And if there's a higher percentage of guarantee, then it's even more troubling. Right. So it's a degree of troublingness. <laughs> right. And so uh, th- that's the that's the ones that really... Um, I think cause everybody the most discomfort in, in 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 my practice. I think judges get really discomforted by it. The um, the, the AUSA's certainly the, the prosecutors and the, and the FBI who investigates fraud certainly are all over those type of frauds. The the ones that that target the 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 the, the retirement savings, the IRAs, the um, the huge. Uh, 
hundred thousand dollar multi million dollar investments. Those those right. are the type of frauds that I think the government, the United States government, is looking to go after. Right, right. And I guess the corollary question: I'll remind our listeners that you're listening to KUCI eighty eight point nine FM in Irvine. This is Real People of Orange County. My guest today is Jesse Gessen. We are talking crime in Orange County right now. We're talking fraud as a big crime in Orange County. And I guess the corollary question is um, the profile of the victim. Uh, my dad is, and I assume all elderly um, folk are particular targets because they're, you know, not quite mentally and physically with it anymore. They've accumulated a lot of wealth and he just seems to be a, a walking victim, poor man. Uh, but is there kind of a classic person that these guys prey on? Yeah, the elderly are a huge target. It's it's really really uh, unfortunate um, because what you have is you have, like you said, a a, a population uh, of our citizenry that are usually more well to do because they've spent a lifetime accumulating it. Right, and they're hoping to leave. I, I know my grandparents were; they spent their entire lifetime looking to leave something to us. It was never about them; it was always about us, right? Right. And then, you know, because of some tendency to trust or some feebleness in 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 their um, in their age, uh, they get taken advantage of by by others. It's it's a really sad situation, and it it happens more often than you would think. I think the way to guard against it is just just be there, you know, just be present with your grandparents, understanding what's going on in their finances. Like what, what, you know, who'd you talk to? Did anybody call, you know, da, da, da. Oh yeah. This young man called from Florida asking if I wanted to invest in a bridge loan. Uh, you didn't say yes, did you? Oh yes. He's coming over tomorrow. Right. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's handle this. Let's you wait. Know? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and literally I, I, I know somebody who, who's a, who's a, a criminal defense attorney and, and who had to deal with that sort of a situation. And she, she was, there to fend them off, but God knows what would have happened if she wasn't there. Right, right. Aside from uh, fraud, which I know is the biggest one, and there's so many startup companies and tech companies around Orange County. Orange County just strikes me as a very entrepreneurial, uh, grassroots sort of, you know, tech place. So I wonder if that's all, and there's a massive amount of wealth here. So I assume all of that contributes to the the fraud going on. <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah. The, the key, the key, the hallmarks of, of a good fraud jurisdiction is extraordinary wealth, number one. And number two is an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, the, the, the idea that you're going to have less regulation in a certain marketplace uh, and you're going to allow the marketplace to decide uh, which businesses survive and which don't, uh, that laissez-faire economic attitude certainly contributes to fraud because there's less of a government scheme that's distilling the representations that are being made by the companies right? Um, and the individuals running the companies. Uh, that's the unfortunate byproduct of a laissez-faire system. I, that's, I think that's, we're just going to have to accept that. Um, company, you know, companies or people that are investing in small companies or small startups are go just going to have to do due diligence as a by, you know, have to increase due diligence as a byproduct of of the economic climate. However, here's the one thing: um, with less government regulation, you're not spending as much complying with ridiculous local ordinances, so you can spend right. more on due diligence. 
right? right? And that's the nice thing um, is that uh, there's less transactional costs in dealing with the local government. Good point. Right, right, right. So aside from fraud, are there other big crimes that we should be on the lookout for in Orange County? Is Orange County a fairly safe place? I say this having a 13-year-old daughter uh, who is aching for more freedom, and I kind of, you know, look around Laguna where we live, which is kind of a transient population. You know, people come in for the day and they go out, you know, just as quickly. And there's a lot of people that I don't know. How safe, how safe is Orange County? Uh, well, Criminally as, safe. I know <laughs> you're on the federal here, side. I, no, <laughs> yeah. here, here's, the, here's the thing about Orange County. Orange County is a, a lot bigger than what most Orange Countyans think of it, right? Good like, point. We tend to bubble up. Um, there's parts of Orange County uh, that that can be uh, dicey. I mean, Santa Ana, uh, portions of it are very, very beautiful, and portions of it are a little, little bit on the on the uh, have an, a little bit more of an underbelly. Um, I think that goes for a lot of Orange County. It's a very diverse county, but all in all, it, it's extraordinarily safe. Uh, as far as um, you know, a lot of the violent crime. Um, or a lot of the gang crimes are handled on the local level, so I don't see them as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I do see huge federal gang indictments that are brought in Orange County, and those are fairly prevalent. Um, there's been a number of large gang indictments that have occurred in recent years, mm-hmm. um, but they seem to be enclosed within their gang environment. It's not too often that we see uh, errant gang activity that spills over into. Um, uh, the the normal citizenry. It's usually gang on gang. It, okay. it happens. I mean, it's not unusual, but it, it, you know, it, it it appears to be fairly uh, enclosed. Um, but I mean, as far as crime rates go and whatnot, uh, yeah. I mean, Orange County is is yeah, as is, is I think it's pretty good. Is the drug problem getting better, worse, stabilizing? Do you think <laughs> <laughs> drug problem? Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, over the course of the last five years there's been an interesting um juxtaposition with drugs uh oxycodone yes uh uh, valium uh, xanax the the pills yeah uh it's like been the rise of the pills you know there's (laughs) there's just a huge upcrease of mother's little helper um but (laughs) but um uh some of the other drugs uh have been have been seeing a decrease Uh, really that's good yeah yeah some of the other drugs so uh methamphetamine is is public enemy number one when it comes to drugs uh in in, in pretty much every place in 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 the county uh it's just and the country and the country for (laughs) that matter it's just a real it's a real problem um methamphetamine it's dangerous it's dangerous to produce um Although, interestingly enough, uh, within the last five to ten years, we've also seen a decrease in the number of laboratories, and in and in, 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 in the laboratories were the worst. It was where they would make the methamphetamine at home in a bathtub and whatnot, um, and and it would ruin property. So if 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 there had been a drug lab on that property, it was gone for for the foreseeable future. It becomes like a super fun site. Right. Right. Um, so it's nice that those aren't happening anymore. The, the the unfortunate side of it is is that the reason that there's been a decrease in the number of laboratories is because there's been an increase in the amount of uh, pure methamphetamine coming across the border from Mexico uh, uh, because they're gotcha. building super labs and they're just having they're having uh, 
huge amounts of pseudoephedrine, which is the the main uh, one of the main cooking ingredients in in methamphetamine, come from uh, uh, foreign countries, China, India. And so what's happening is the the cartels are doing are using well this is like straight out of Breaking Bad right yeah so, it is <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly what happened so but the the nice the it's weird right this is the way the drug trade works so there's always a give and take in this market um, with the increase of pure methamphetamine coming across we're seeing a decrease in uh, the uh, number of laboratories and uh, uh, bad meth mm-hmm. which can be very dangerous mm-hmm. uh, so. It's clean so meth. So it's clean meth. That's <laughs> clean. If, if that's possible, there's clean meth coming across. So it, it's it's, um, it's just like natural gas. It's all clean now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yikes. My guest today is Jesse Gessen. He is the federal public defender for the Central District of California in um, in Santa Ana. And we are talking crime in Orange County, what crimes are up, what crimes are down, what we can do to protect ourselves. Uh, speaking of drugs, I mean... Uh, dear to the heart of a lot of college students and adults around here is the legalization of marijuana. And I assume California is getting fairly close to that um, as, as all of the other States around us are getting, are moving in that direction. Do you feel like, so, so explain to, there's a lot of controversy or a lot of misunderstanding, I think in um, the difference between state and federal law. So federal, the marijuana is illegal at the federal level, but the States who legalize it, Will not the federal government won't go after individuals who are using in states where it is legal? Is that how it works? S- sort of. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, it's a really fascinating uh, movement right now in in the law uh, and, and in society, but the law. I'll focus on the law. So the way it works is this: we have the Controlled Substances Act, which places marijuana as a schedule one drug schedule one schedule two schedule three uh, based on dangerousness higher the 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 schedule ones are the most dangerous drugs no medical value okay the reason that it's there is because in the late 60s and early 70s a bunch of the countries got together and decided to have a treaty uh a drug treaty okay we're gonna and then that's where the schedules came out and there was a guy named henry anslinger who was the head of the Precursor to the DEA, the, the administration that handled it. And he was kind of like the Hoover of the drugs, and, and his uh, he had some bad experiences with marijuana. Not him, but his kids, and so he thought it was a very dangerous drug. So he was able to get it into a treaty, which which our law, our Controlled Substances Act, was based on the treaty. So so you every country, well, every civilized country is part of that treaty. And so now we have this problem because we're realizing that maybe marijuana isn't as bad as we thought it was, or at least as bad, bad as Mr. Anslinger thought it was. And and so um, there's been a revolution. And here's the interesting thing about it. States are not bound by that treaty. So they can they can do whatever they want. So, for example, and, and this, is, this issue went up to the Supreme Court in the context of Texas killing people death penalty right so they they tried to argue well there's this there's certain treaties and whatnot and the supreme court said no texas can pretty much do whatever they want including kill people so now that you know colorado and washington and now uh, alaska and oregon and the district of columbia say oh we don't we you know well district columbia is a little different because they're 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 not full recreational they're okay. more of a decriminalization of possession. But the other states are recreational. Oh, now that they want to smoke weed, it's like, okay, well, if Texas can kill people, these other people can smoke weed, right? <laughs> so that's kind of the way the law is right now. 
Um, but the federal government, it's, it's still unlawful. It's a possession still unlawful. Uh, uh, tra- uh, transportation, distribution, uh, it's all still unlawful. Um, what the Obama administration has done is said, okay, we're going to come out with these loose guidelines based on – literally, it's a, it's a memo. It's a memorandum that says if you follow these guidelines, then you should be okay. The problem is, is that they don't control all of the United States Attorney's offices, and the United States Attorney's offices can still bring dr- uh, marijuana cases. And, and even if they don't bring a marijuana case, um, and usually it's a tra- it's, it's a growing or a trafficking case, um, then they, they'll do this thing. They'll say, okay, we're not going to go after you criminally, but we're going to take the building that you're growing it in, the civil forfeiture, which is a very low standard. So, so people, you know, people don't want their building. Okay, I'm going to grow marijuana to 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 lose a million dollar building. Right? No, that's crazy. So, so it's 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 a chilling effect, right? And and it's a give and take, and you you don't. It's such a gray area of the law. You don't really know what's going to happen. Um, there's an interesting issue that I've been researching lately about money laundering and uh, and banks. So right now we have a what what will be at least within the next five years a bi- at least a billion dollar business. And this right now banks are not are not are afraid to get involved in this billion dollar business. So what other billion dollar business do you know that banks don't get involved in? Are you kidding me? Right. right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> banks right. love billion dollar businesses. So. <laughs> So they, they don't want to get involved because they don't want to be seen as fe- doing federal money laundering. Right. So that's an issue that I've been researching that I think is just fascinating is how do you convince what is now a Republican Congress to pass laws that exempt businesses, marijuana businesses, or states, marijuana states, um, or I should say businesses within those states, um, not to – not to prosecute money laundering cases. Do you right. exempt them? Do you create banking collectives within the state and then give it to the state level? What do you do? Right now, it's all based on, basically, it's all based on a, a executive branch enforcement and the decisions that they make, which could change in 2016. Which is going to change. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. as soon as a, a new president comes in, everything could change. And so we, people are buying uh, warehouses and creating uh, transportation routes, and there's mom and pop shops, and there's not mom and pops. There's hedge funds, you know. I mean, rolling are, uh, the the people who do High Times Magazine just created a hedge fund based on this stuff. Wow. All this business, all this commerce, this entire marketplace could be shut down uh, with the stroke of a pen, or 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 because of the result of one conference between the uh, the head of the Department of Justice and the and the president. Amazing, I, it's amazing. Yeah, it really it's is. That's amazing. So just to switch topics a little bit, I also wanted to talk about how safe you feel. I've always wondered if public defenders, if they feel threatened by, you know, if a case doesn't go their client's way, um, maybe this isn't so big in the fraud industry. But I'm thinking, um, you know, when you're involved with criminals, uh, do you feel any threats? And, you know, do the prosecutors feel any threats from some of these guys? Maybe this happens more in the gang unit than in the fraud unit. But how dangerous? How dangerous is your job? How dangerous is their job? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've never felt unsafe with a client. I, I, you know, when I get in there and I start talking with a client, I feel in the beginning there's a little bit of an apprehension. But as time goes on, we build a trust, we build a relationship, and and then they're there. They realize that I'm doing my best, and and really, a lot of times, what I'm there to do is not to get them out or to get them. 
uh, on the street again. A lot of what I'm doing most times, in most cases, is I'm there to tell their story to mm. probation officers and to United States attorneys and to judges, and they realize that. And so they're not they're not looking to harm me, you know. They're not looking mm. to 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 make me feel uncomfortable. I mean, they're they can be demanding. Clients can be demanding. Um, clients' families can be very demanding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, yeah, they can. They can. But um, once the initial trust is made, and once we we click in that initial trust, uh, I feel very safe with my clients. And and it, <clears throat> when I first started, it was very difficult for me to see them go away. Yeah. I felt like a part of me was going away. Mm-hmm. And and one of my my mentors said. Jesse, you, you got to be like a duck. And I said, "What do you mean, like a duck?" He goes, "You got to let that roll off your back, or else all the future clients are gonna are, are never gonna be helped. So you have a, a lot of future clients that are out there that are gonna be helped by by what you do. And if you are dragged down by uh, what's happened to one client, then you're you're not gonna be able to help others. And so I I, I feel like I I try to internalize what's happening in a case to a certain extent, but I then compartmentalize it so that I don't bring myself down and make my profession unhealthy for me and for my future clients. That's a really good point because it would be so personal to get involved in these clients' lives for a period of, I don't know how long you work with them, but it could be years, Sometimes right? Sometimes years, yeah. yeah. Federal case, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And no. you're right, and then watch them go away if they... Oh, I mean, going don't. through a trial with a client is, it's, there's like no, I mean, I would imagine it's something like... Well, I'd say I'd imagine it's something like surgery, you know, where, but I, I don't, I, I, my brother's a doctor and he doesn't, he gets connected to his, but he doesn't spend as much time preparing for a trial, being with them, learning their story, presenting their family. Um, I think that relationship between attorney and client um, in the professional world, I would compare it to maybe two other professions, something like a, like when, with like a, a therapist or something, maybe yeah. with a therapist and a, and a client that has a long ongoing relationship and maybe I hate to say this but a, a long ongoing relationship between a client and a prostitute where mm-hmm. there's that intimate relationship um, I'm not saying that, please don't get me wrong out there I have not <laughs> I've not I'm had not advocating any carnal relations with any of my clients I'm just saying that um, that sort of intimacy that that uh, that uh, um, that that professional relationship right. uh, requires is something that is very difficult to uh, just throw and cast aside and I think that the more intimate and understanding that you become with your client the better advocate you are uh, for their for their story and the better you're able to tell their story um, and convince others of their story because um, I, I truly believe people just they're not just born to do crime something brought them to that point where they commit that crime Especially crimes like fraud. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying fraud's a nice crime or anything, but it's and it's certainly not victimless. But it's not violent, you know. It's it's not uh, sociopathic or psychopathic in the same way that I would think, you know, cold blooded murder or something like that is. Where you know, if you slide this little thing into a gas station's reader, and you never see the victims, and it's fifty bucks here, and and you assume these guys have a lot of money anyway, and you can just I can feel all of the justifications. I have not done that, but I can feel all the justifications in their head. And now they're looking at 20 years in prison. And maybe we should spend the last few minutes talking about white-collar prison versus... Because everybody says, oh, if you, you're going to go away to one of these plush uh, racquetball court prisons and you're just going to, you know, lay around in your white tennis shorts. And club, club fed. <laughs> club fed, exactly. Are we, already, exactly. are we almost at the end here? 
We are. We only have like four minutes left. Oh my! Oh my gosh! It went by so fast. So fast. I know. Uh, okay. So club, club. So there's different levels of federal prisons. There's uh, there's camps, which is like club fed. Then there's uh, low security, medium security, high security. Camps. That's great. Yeah, they call you them camps. They, camp. they don't have fences. <laughs> I, one of my clients was like, "Oh, how's this? Uh, how's this uh, place out in uh, South Dakota?" And I looked it up, and, I, and I, it was an old school ground, and they, they it was like a boarding school that had become a federal penitentiary. And I was like. Wow, this is this is literally a camp. There's we can no ride horses. <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no fences here, um, which is nice because I think that some crimes people need to have a certain curtailment of their of their liberty, but it doesn't need to be so extensive that it it, it ruins them. It ruins them. Yeah. That's right. It just they, they can't function when they get get out because really what we're, we're worried about in the federal in any penitential system we're not concerned about retribution retribution isn't in the statute that deals with sentencing we're talking about rehabilitation we're talking about deterrence uh we're, we're talking about uh, uh needed education and vocational experience those are the type of policies that we're trying to uh, advance retribution is purposely left out by congress and I and I think that the the pound of flesh argument for sentencing has long been cast aside in federal sentencing. And I think the federal judges in Orange County are very, very, very good at looking at each and every individual defendant on their own terms and 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 and, and sentencing them based on that their crime, their how they got there, why they're there. All the judges in Orange County, they take an extraordinary amount of time to do that. And I think most of them, um, I should say all of them, review every single document and every single aspect of the case and then try to determine a sentence that they feel is just and reasonable under the circumstances. And we're very fortunate to have the level of the, the deepness of the federal bench that we have in Orange County. They're just, they're amazing mm, and they're very cool. good and they take their time and they, and they do, they try to do the right thing. Every single one of them. That's good. Good. That puts me at ease. So you have your, <laughs> so you have your camps, which are like a uh, club fed. <laughs> yeah. We have your camps and then you have low, low, which is some, a little more, you'll you see some razor wire. Then you got the medium where there's like, now there's glass and, you know, in the booths that you talk to people and then you got the high and then you have the super max, which is like the Alcatraz of the Rockies, which is uh, where all the terrorists go. And, and that's where all, uh, that's where Ted Kaczynski is. And, um, and uh, all, all the other uh, 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 major terrorists, uh, Terra How, Indiana, um, that's another big one. Um, but uh, most of uh, most of my clients end up either in uh, all the way up to medium. I don't have too many high security clients. Every once in a while, yeah, but pretty rare. That's good to know. That's yeah. Good to know. yeah. Well, it is Orange <laughs> County after all. It yeah. is Orange County, right? 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 So we have time for like one more um, kind of wrap up, and I just wanted to give you a chance if we haven't covered anything that that we should know as Orange County citizens that we should be on the lookout for that some insider point of view that any last minute thoughts you'd <laughs> last minute thoughts <laughs> I put you on the spot <laughs> uh, I, I you know I I think that living in this this is a beautiful county that we have and and I think that every society has to deal with crime um, that's just the part of civilization. I think we're fortunate that the crime that we see in Orange County, um, at least at the federal level, um, tends to evolve from a place of um, I say this I say this is a good thing um, uh, tragedy, uh, not evil. Uh, people are dealing um, with 
uh, tragic events in their life and they slip into the criminal life that they live. They're not, they're not doing this for evil. They're not doing this um, for something that's out of darkness. Um, I, at least at what I deal with at the federal level. They're not and Dexter. They're not. Well, Dex, Dexter's a very morally <laughs> well, complex very, character. That's true. You know? that's true. Right. Uh, but in any case, um, I, I think that, that we, as, a, as Orange Countyans, uh, are fortunate in our, um, at least when it comes to federal crimes, um, the type that we see and the type that we deal with, um, because it could it could be a lot worse. Good, to, yeah, good. That's a good, nice way to end. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. I love that. I love that. Jesse Gesson, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. That's all the time we have for today. I'm going to mention one more time that Ed Asner is appearing as FDR. He's doing a monologue at the Laguna Playhouse uh, just for a couple of nights. So if you want to jump on that opportunity, go to lagunaplayhouse.com. He's just here through this weekend. That's all the time we have for today. I want to give a shout out to a couple of our other public affairs shows who do such a great job on the station. You can find all of our podcasts at KUCI.org slash talk. Uh, we've got um, I host Writers on Writing on Wednesday mornings. Counterspin is coming up next. Matt Kaplan, if you have not listened to him, is an uh, is an astronomy guru. He's unbelievable. He does planetary radio. Uh, Claudia on Tuesday morning has a fantastic Ask a Leader show. So many great public affairs programs here. You can check us all out at KUCI.org. That's all the time we have for today. We will be right back here with you next week with the Thanksgiving show. So until next time. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day.